Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Welcome back, my friends, to a very special episode of the Story Box. You know why? Because I have one of my all-time favorite actors on the show. He is a living legend and icon. He's now a, a friend of mine. His name is Chaz Palmentary. Now, if you don't recognize that name for some reason, you will definitely recognize this iconic and legend's face. He literally commands the screen and there's... And when I first saw him on the screen, I literally understood, okay, this man, he's going to be one of my favorite actors for sure. But it didn't always start out for Chaz being in these great Hollywood blockbuster movies. He came from very humble beginnings. Chaz was born and raised in the Bronx. His mother was a homemaker and his dad was a bus driver. He grew up in a tough area of the Bronx, giving him the life lessons that would later prove very useful to his career. His father taught him so many great lessons too. As you're about to listen and learn from this this man who has lived a great life. And what I will say is that some of the movies that I have loved and seen him in, and some of you may recognize him as well from the incredible popular sitcom Modern Family. He played uh, Shorty in that one. But he's also been in films like Legend, um, Mighty Fine. Um, uh, he's also been in Clover, Vault, Bush, Jolene, Once Upon a Time in Queens, uh, and Godfather of Harlem as well. Uh, he's been in so many great films. There's so many I could just rattle off to you. But he's most known for the play that he wrote for himself, which eventually became a movie, A Bronx Tale. And I won't spoil anything because Chaz goes into how that all became about, and it's an incredible story. But I was really honored to sit down with Chaz via Zoom and converse. He is humble, he is really genuine, and I think you guys are going to feel that as you listen. 
uh, very, very shortly. But Chaz has an amazing podcast out that you can go and listen to. All the links are in the show notes below. He brings on many incredible people. Uh, Amanda Klutz, for example. Uh, he's got um, Vincent D'Onofrio and he just shares these nuggets of wisdom. Some of my favorite is life or is there life after death as well as don't run from pain and many, many more. So please do help support Chaz and all the work that he's doing. He's trying to give back a lot. Uh, so the least we can do is give back to him by subscribing to his show and showing our love and support. If you are a fan of Chaz, even better. Uh, so I think you guys, are, if you are fans of him, you're going to really love this conversation. So my friends, please share it around to your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, everything that you need is all in the links below. Uh, also, don't forget to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcast. Subscribe, do all the great stuff. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we learn from the incredible wisdom and hear the story of none other than one of my favorite actors, my new friend now, Chaz Palminteri. It's good to be here, Jay. It's good to be here. It's so good to have you here. And like I was saying just a second ago, you're one of my all-time favorite actors. And it's because you command any role that you you are in, you command the screen, whether it's comedy, action, drama, thriller, mystery, whatever it is, whatever you're playing, you command the screen. And for someone that is a huge admirer and a lover of stories and film in particular, I look for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit different and, oh. and unique that way. But I I was so excited when you said yes to being on my show because uh, I believe you have a very interesting story, which I can't wait to get into. Before we do that, though, my very first question for you is, what does success look like for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Success looks like for me, I, I would say doing what you want, being independent, where you can make your own decisions, uh, and, and doing what you love to do and make a really good living at it. To me, I mean, of course, having a, a family, uh, children, but other than, and other than having a, a great family, a wife and children, it's doing what you love to do. Success is really, you know, look, we're all going to die. Nobody's, nobody's is going to beat that one, you know? So uh, I, I would say, I always think about my dad who told me the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. Mm -hmm. And every day I wake up thinking that I, I'm wasting something. I, I'm not doing enough, you know? So I think that's why I'm still here for so long because I'm very driven. And uh, I just think at the end of your lifetime, success would be, that the really great happy moments and the achievements outweigh the sad moments. Mm. And I think to me, that would be okay. Mm. I love that. When was the moment for you, Chaz, that you realized that doing what you love was in fact success for you? Has it been this gradual thing over time for you over the life or has it been like this catalyst moment somewhere? Well, I, I really wasn't good at anything else. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I have to be honest about that. I always wanted to be an actor when I was 10. I started out as a singer. Um, I, I, I was writing when I was young. I mean, I, I couldn't see, I couldn't see that I, 
that I could be good at anything else. I mean, I, I, I thought about at one time uh, in college, I, I, I thought about not doing it, but I, I really enjoyed, uh, I thought about, I would have liked to have been a shrink, a, a psychiatrist, you know, cause I enjoy the human mind. Mm -hmm. uh, but I started feeling that way when I went to therapy. When I went to therapy, I said, gee, I really like this, but it helped me as an actor. But I was just good at it. I was good at acting right away and I was good at singing. I was good at writing. I, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a little bit of an asshole here, but but I had natural ability, you know, but then I worked on it. I went to school. I studied. You know, God gives you a certain amount of talent. Yeah. And then it's your job to take that talent and make it even bigger. Mm. You know, so and that's what I worked on very hard and I still do. Mm. So for someone growing up in the Bronx area, which back in those days, it probably wouldn't have been an easy place to actually grow up in. There would have been a lot of crime, would have been a lot of crazy things happening. Was it difficult for you to actually make your goal, I guess, of wanting to become an actor possible? Well, you know, it's funny, but people say that to me. They say, you know, um, a Bronx tale. Uh, I mean, a Bronx it must have been. Yeah. Was it was it a rough neighborhood? Yeah. Was there crime there? Yes. Was there drugs there? Yes. But I had a great childhood. We all had a great childhood. We had we all had loving parents who loved us. Our parents were all together. Very few people were divorced back then. Very few people at that time. So. Uh, we, you know, we would, we'd watch movies, uh, Italian movies, you know, and uh, the Godfather and all those main streets and, and all those movies there. But I, I, I knew I was going to make it. I knew it. I, I just knew it. I just, I didn't know when, and, and it did happen for me later on in life. It didn't happen until I was uh, 38 years old. So it took me a while, but I really started working when I, when I once I really put my mind to it and said, "All right, stop! You, you, you're doing it half fast. You really got to go for it here." Mm. Probably eight years later, that's when it happened. So, did you have okay. any doubt along the way? No. No. I'm sorry to say that I really didn't. I said, "I'm going to make it. It's going to take time." I kept hearing this little voice in my head. Did I ever say I'm going to quit? No, mm -hmm. no. Uh, I'll forget. I was 38 years old. I ran out of money, had no money here. Here I was approaching 40 years old, with no money, no future, just my talent. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then finally at, at that stage, that's when I really said, okay, I got to take it up another notch now. And that's when I wrote Bronx tale. So from that, how were you feeling in that moment of, okay, I don't have any money. Did you know exactly where to go? Like, was there like this plan laid out for you or was it? Well, I'll like tell you exactly what happened. What happened was uh, when I got to LA around 86, I started auditioning. I started getting parts uh, mm -hmm. on television, Hill Street Blues. I was on there. I played Sonny Capoletto on there and, uh, then I got on Dallas and I got on Madlock and then I got a couple of TV series and then I was on Peter Gunn. And then as, as anybody, any actors, you start running out of money. So mm -hmm. I saved all those money from those jobs. And after about two and a half years, I ran out of money. Um, and then I, I, I used to, I used to bounce. I used to, cause I was a boxer. Yep. So I, I, um, 
I got a job at a very swanky club in Beverly Hills. And I was working there for about three months and supplementing my income, you know, unemployment and that. And, and then finally one day I didn't let this person in the club because he was rude to me. And uh, the guy looked at me and said, you're going to be fired in 15 minutes, you know? And I said, really, who are you? So he, he, we didn't have cell phones back then. And so he made it, he started yelling at me and the boss came out and I heard the boss say Swifty. And it, the person was Swifty Lazar. And for those of you who don't know, you're too young. Swifty Lazar was the biggest agent in the world at the time. And I just told him he couldn't come into his own party. Uh, <laughs> so it was kind of dumb, but it, I, you know, he was rude to me and that's why I did that, you know? Mm. You know, and he finally, uh, I got fired, just like he said, 15 minutes later, I, I drove back to my uh, little apartment in North Hollywood with my 1972 Honda with the dent, with the dent in it. Uh, and then I just uh, sat on the edge of my bed and I said, what the hell am I going to do? You know, mm -hmm. and then I said, well, I looked on the, on the refrigerator. My father's card was there. The saddest thing in life is wasted talent. And I said, well, if they won't give me a great part, I'll write one myself. And I went to Thrifty Drugstore. I got five tabs of, uh, yeah, I make my notes on it, five tabs on yellow of yellow paper. And uh, I started, I said, well, what am I going to write about? Then I remember this killing that I saw when I was nine years old. I always, I always thought about it. I always wanted to write about it. I said, I'll write that. I want to write about the killing and my relationship with the wise guys and my father. And I just wrote five minutes, about seven minutes of the monologue. And I performed it for my theater workshop and they loved it. And then each week I would write and on Monday nights, I would perform more of it. I would perform 10 minutes, take away three minutes, five minutes, take away two minutes. I kept doing that for almost a year. Mm. At the end of a year, I had 90 minutes of this one person show where I played all the characters, 18 characters. I mean, I literally do the movie on stage by myself. That's why everybody in the world wanted it. Uh, you know, so my friend lent me some money. I put it up at this theater and my, the reviews and my life just exploded. Mm. I mean, exploded. It, it was unbelievable, Jay. After the first two weeks, a studio called me up and offered me $250,000 for the story. Wow. And I said, uh, $200 in the bank. And I said, yeah, but I want to play Sonny and I want to write the screenplay because it's my life. And they said, no, you're, you're very good, but uh, you're, you're, we, we want to star in the role. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, then forget it. I'm not doing it. Uh, Al Pacino came to see it. Jack Nicholson came to see it. Burt Reynolds came to see it. Ray Shockey came to see it. I mean, all the big stars back then came to see it. They all wanted to play Sonny. And all the big producers and directors in Hollywood, this was 1989, came to see it. Everybody wanted it. They called me back three weeks later, offered me $500,000. Same thing. I can't play Sonny. I can't write the screenplay. I said, forget it again. Finally, I signed with an, uh, another, I signed with an agent. I didn't even have an agent at the time. And then I finally signed with them because a lot of people wanted me. I decided to go with William Morris. I went with William Morris, and in about two weeks with them, I went to another meeting, and uh, I sat down at this table, and the guy had a piece of paper, and he slid it across the table. 
And he said to me, if you sign that check right now, you'll have it. He goes, if you sign that contract right now, you'll have a check tomorrow for $1 million. And I said, uh, I said, is there a bathroom around here? And he said, yeah, there's one right over there. So I, I got the key to the executive bathroom and I went in it. I was by myself while they were all outside waiting for me. And I thought about it and I put my hand in my pocket and I took the card with me for some reason. I've never taken it before with me, but for that, this time I took it. I don't know why. And I looked at the card and it said, the saddest thing in life is wasted talent. And I looked in the mirror. I could curse, right? Could I curse? Of course, of course, yeah. I looked at the mirror. I looked in myself in the mirror and I said, fuck it. And I walked back outside and I said, uh, if I play Sonny and I write the screenplay, I'll sign it. And they just put their heads down. And the head of the studio looked at me and said, Chaz, this movie will never get made. And I said, you're right, it won't with you. But sooner or later, it'll get made. And he says, why are you so confident? I said, because it's just too fucking good. And sooner or later, somebody will do it. So I walked out. And then two weeks later, I was doing the show. The audience was just, I mean, I was selling out every night. Two weeks later, I did the show. Standing ovation every night. I get off, I get off the stage and the stage manager runs over to me and says, you better go to your dressing room. Robert De Niro is waiting for you in there. He just saw the show. I said, Robert De Niro? He said, yeah. I said, wow. So I walked back. I walked into the dressing room. There was De Niro. And he said, that's the greatest one-man show I ever saw. He said, you did a movie. I said, yeah, I know. He said, look, if you end up selling this thing, they're going to come to me anyway. He said, but I want to tell you what I want to do. He goes, I think you should play Sonny. And I think you should write the screenplay because it's your life. I'll play your father and I'll direct it. And if you shake my hands, I give you my word. That's the way it'll be. I shook his hand and that's the way it was. <laughs> what what an incredible story. I mean, for those people that haven't heard that story before, I mean, I was smiling the entire time. And the way the way you told it, my goodness. I mean, what I got a lot to unpack in that story, but one area that I do want to go down is you mentioned the your relationship with your father for a moment. Yeah. What was the relationship with your father? Was it a good relationship? Was oh, it a, great. a ten, yep. great relationship? The, the okay. relationship in, the, in Bronx Steel, and that was it. I mean, I had a great relationship with my father. A great. My father didn't want me to end up like other guys there in the street. So he very watched over me. He was very strict, my mother and father. I was constantly watching me. He didn't want me to hang around with the guys in the bar. Uh, but I love my father dearly and he loved me and I love my mother dearly. Very humble beginnings. I believe your father yeah. was a bus driver. Is that correct? He was a bus driver. He made $48 a week. We had yeah. three kids. It was very hard for him to survive. And I say, when I say that line in the play, I say he used to have to cash in empty, empty soda bottles to buy food sometimes. No, we had it tough, mm. but you know what? I never thought we had it tough because Everybody in my neighborhood was like that. Mm. So, but we all had so much love in the house that it was okay. Mm. You never went without the essentials. I think that's, that's important. No, no. Yeah. I grew, I grew up. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's sort of how I grew up as well. Like my dad had to work two jobs just to put food on the table. 
I mean, yeah. Joy was like a a lower middle class, but it was like the bottom of middle class. Right. I mean, but we never went without the essentials. It was always, I guess, everything that we needed. Right. Um, which is important. Well, that's why you're, that's why you're successful. I'm sure you think you got a lot of love. You feel confident. That's why you're such a young man and being so successful already. You know. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. That has a lot to do with it. You know. What no, was you are. I mean, I, I listened to your podcast before I said yes. I listened to a bunch of them, and I could see that you had a talent to. You're intelligent. You know, uh, and you know how to ask questions. You know how to get people to to. As you used to use the term unbox. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and I said, okay, I think it'll be okay. Thank you. Know. you. That means a lot you saying that um, and me being able to hear it and appreciate it uh, from yeah. one of my, one of my favorite actors. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's an honor to actually, to actually unbox a little bit of your story today. Yeah. But, I'm curious, like, what would you say apart from, you know, that card saying, wasted talent would you would you equate being your father's best or what would, what would you say you learned the most from your dad the biggest lesson from him oh wow i learned a lot of lessons from my dad but i think the most the biggest one was is be kind mm. be kind and don't and don't try not and, and don't lie my father could not lie he could not lie I mean, uh, he really couldn't. I mean, if if we had a used car and that some things were wrong with the car and the guy asked him, well, what's wrong with it? My father would tell him everything that's wrong with it. And nobody would ever buy the used car because it was little things. But my father would, I said, dad, you can't say everything. He goes, well, I don't want, I don't want to lie to anybody. I said, yeah, but you know, so the cigarette lighter doesn't work. What's the big deal? <laughs> you know, he would say everything, mm. you know, but he was, he was, he was a gentleman and he was kind. And I think that's what I learned uh, the most from him. What did you learn from your father about being a real man? That you ha that a real man takes has a responsibility and takes care of his family. Mm. That's what a real man does. And my father wanted to be a, a saxophone player, wanted to be a singer. But when, when, we came along, me and my sisters, you know, he, he couldn't do it, you know, but he didn't bitch about it. He uh, got a job as a bus driver. Mm. He did what he had to do. A, a real man takes care of his family. Mm. My dad was one of those who, who made it sound like, made it say like, you could be the biggest success in the world, have all the money in the world. But if you're a failure as a father, that's something that's not good. Yeah. That's more important than stuff. That overrides everything. Yeah. Yeah. I had a very similar lesson from my grandfather. He, he taught me that as well. He's, he said it's far more important to value relationships and people around you than mere stuff. I mean, like when that's all gone, what's right. left? Right. Well, you see, you, you have to realize that when you have a child, Jay, you're, you're obviously, you're young. But when you get a child, everything you do, everything you say is a mirror to them. Mm. Everything. The way you treat your wife, the way you treat his mother, the way you talk to her, the way you talk to other people, 
the way you conduct yourself all day. They watch you and they learn. And by giving them the right message, you're sending that child off to the universe. It's not just that child. Mm-hmm. That child's going to get married. That child's going to have kids. Your impression of who you are and who he is, he will pass down. Yeah. You're, when you create one child, you're creating a universe. Mm. It's, that's, it's that big and that serious. Mm. And that's why it's very sad today. There's so many people who just, you know, get divorced and go with another person and, and think there's no consequences for that. Mm. Divorce is a really, obviously, it's a very costly thing, but for a young child, it's, it's a tough thing. Yeah. It just, yeah. I mean, I've seen and I've even spoken with a lot of young kids that have been through difficult upbringings. And yeah. you're right, it has affected them in a number of ways. I mean, the anxiety yeah. levels, depression, the stress. I mean, they feel like, there's something definitely missing. I mean, they haven't had that base, that foundation. That base. Now, am I saying that uh, people from divorced families can't be successful? Of course not. No. I'm just saying it's that much harder. But Oh, yeah. Look, Pete, you asked me a question before. You said, did you ever quit thinking about quitting? Did you know? And I could only attribute that to my family, my parents. My parents ingrained in me when I was a little boy that I was so special. <laughs> I, I Maybe they overdid it a little bit. <laughs> was I spoiled a little bit? Yeah. I was the only boy in an Italian family, probably. But they gave me so much love and security that I just felt like I could do anything and lift buildings and I think that's why when people say to me, how could you turn down a million dollars when you had $200 in the bank? And I say, I can't explain that. All I could say is I just knew. Mm. I just knew. Mm. I've always been fascinated by that inner voice. Like, how do you know? But some people just do. And I mean, it's like with for example, and relating to that similar story, I mean, it wasn't financial in nature. It was, oh, it kind of was actually, because I was offered a job that was high paying and I knew that I would have been great at it, but I chose not to do it because something inside me didn't feel right. And then that sort of led me down the path of doing this. So do I regret it? Absolutely not. Because I saw that the most important thing for me in that moment was being true to what I believed in. And that was my purpose, which is helping people realize they are worth something and that their story matters, you know? So I think you can, I think you can appreciate that because you are in a very similar situation. And I think it is difficult when you are approached like that with a huge financial figure to not, to not be true to what you believe in. Right. Well, always remember this. I, I, I can give, I could try to be uh, give you a piece of advice from somebody who's uh, quite a bit older than you. And that is for you and your listeners out there, whenever you do anything for money or guilt, mm-hmm. it will come back and bite you in the ass. Always. 
always. If you do it for the money or you do it for guilt, yeah. in the end, it will hurt you. That's guaranteed. Guaranteed. So just try to remember that. If you remember that, you can save yourself a lot of heartache. Oh, yes. Totally agree with you on that front. Yeah. Jazz, you mentioned that you grew up in a very loving household and family. Like you could lift buildings, you could do whatever you, whatever you wanted. Yeah. I'm curious at the age that you are now, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Uh, I would say that I'm, what I love the most about it is that it's, I'm still doing it. It's, it's more relevant today than it ever was. People can't get enough of it. Uh, listen, I've done 68 movies, and Bronx Tale is, is the one they, I mean, they talk about that one the most. Uh, of course, Usual Suspects and Bullets Over Broadway and uh, Analyze This and a bunch. I've been fortunate. I've been in some wonderful movies, but still, Bronx Tale is the one they talk about the most because I think the characters that I have in that are archetypes. Mm. And it just, it just reaches. Uh, Bronx Hill is a huge hit in Japan. Japan. Really? Yeah. Wow. Now, how could that be? What, what is that? <laughs> I don't know. It's family. Mm. I was in Bahrain uh, and they love Bronx Tale there. I was in uh, Argentina. They love Bronx Tale there. I was just in Monte Carlo. They love Bronx Tale there. They study Bronx Tale in colleges. Uh, kids do thesis on it about good and evil and uh, about the wasted talent thing. So uh, that's what I love about it the most, that it's still here, it's still relevant. And, and people, and it'll be here. Look, it's the only time in history, in history, that anything has gone from a one-man show to a major movie, to a Broadway musical. Mm. So I'm very proud of that. And uh, I know it'll be here for a long time and I know my children will reap the benefits from, from it. So I'm happy about that. Well, I'm definitely gonna show my future kids as well. And all the films that you've been in, probably not the R-rated ones, but <laughs> the, oh, ones that, the ones that are good. When they're, when they're, 11, when they're 11 years old. When, like when, they're, when they're of age, <laughs> yes. Good. Um, but I grew up with like towards the later stage of my life, you know, I, I'm still quite young, obviously, yeah. but I learned to appreciate all the classics like the Godfather, you know, yeah. Mean Streets, all pretty much all of Scorsese's yeah. films too. So I had this great understanding of what a good film was from the very word go. It was informed with the story first and foremost, then the characters, then uh, how you portrayed them on, on, on the screen. So that for me was sort of like my base. And for you, Chaz, like when you were looking at a story or a particular a, a character, for example, what was your process like, like in terms of your creative outlet of uh, forming the character that goes in line with the story? Well, before I say yes to a script, I, I like a character that's, he doesn't have to be likable. 
Some actors, they only want to play likable characters. I, I don't care about that at all. Uh, as you can see from some of my movies, uh, <laughs> I've played characters who are despicable. Hurley mm -hmm. uh, Burley, uh, Diabolique. I don't care if you like me. I just care if you understand me. Yeah. If you understand why I'm this way, then I'm okay with that. You know, I, I want the character to be three-dimensional. I want him to have layers. I don't want him to be one note. That's why I won't play a gangster who's just one note. Yeah. I'll play a gangster, but he has to be more than that. Uh, in Bullets Over Broadway, uh, uh, Cheech was a brilliant playwright. Uh, in, in Bronx Tales, Sonny was like a philosopher besides being a killer. You know, so a lot of these characters have to be three-dimensional for me to play them. So I look for that in a character. You Do you have a particular character that you relate to the most or do you relate to them all in some way, shape or form? Um, I, you know, I, I forgot who said it. Oh God, I always like to give credit if somebody said something, but I can't remember who said it. But people say, well, actors, we put a mask on. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say that as actors. I, I don't I don't agree with that. I, I think we take a mask off. Yeah. I think there's something in us, in that character that we can understand. Now, when you're playing some psycho and you say that, people <laughs> might say, Jesus, God, you know. But for whatever reason, I could connect to it. Mm. Uh, look, we can. We all have a dark side, Jake. It's called a shadow. Yeah. You know, and the best way to deal with the shadow is to stop and turn around and face it. You yeah. know, when you face your shadow and put your arms around them and say, hey, we're in this together, man. I try to teach my students that in the acting you know, it's not to be afraid of the things that you're ashamed of or the things that you feel, but you take that shadow and you make him your friend. And now you're even more powerful yeah. because I could go to that piece of me, that part of me that wants to go to the dark places. And that's why you say to me, well, you know, well, you're, uh, when I see you on screen, you're always there. Well, I'm there because... It's just not me. It's me and my shadow together. Mm. Whatever that character is, I bring it and feel it in my eyes and in my head. Mm. And then when I when they say cut, I, I let go. Mm. Uh, but I have to bring that realness to the part. Me, I have to. Some, some actors maybe don't have to go there or do that. And God bless them. But I have to do that. So some actors, they can turn it on and off when the camera yeah. goes, starts rolling where others, they just can't, they're like, they have to be in that yeah. frame of mind the entire time. So well, I, as long as I know where the frame of mind is, I could pretty much turn it off and then on, but I originally have to find where I have to turn it on first. Once I know the on switch, then I go, okay, I'm good now. Now I can turn it off, turn it on. Yeah, but I have to seek that on switch and find out what it is. Once I find it, then I'm okay. Mm. Jazz, with the time that we have left, I've got a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. I really, really enjoy this conversation. Could speak to you forever. <laughs> um, right. uh, when when would you say in your life 
has been the most vulnerable moment for you? The most vulnerable moment. Mm. Wow. I, I think the first time that I did, um, I did the show, you know, I mean, I, I, I kept putting the pieces together. Oh, and this is a great story. I, I, I put the pieces together, but I never did the whole thing in one sitting. And there was this woman who was doing um, a, 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 a West Fest. It was called uh, of, of One Person Shows. And she said, well, hey, I heard you're working on a one-man show. And I said, yeah. She goes, would you like to do it for my theater company and Samo Studio Theater in, in, in L.A.? So I said, yeah, okay. I said, yeah. You know, I thought it was for her studio, for her company. I didn't know it was this big thing. So I thought it was going to be like 30, 40 people. And now I'm going to perform the whole thing for the first time straight through. And so I, I get to the theater here like 45 minutes early and, you know, there's a few people there and I'm just going over the whole thing in my head. You know, it's, you know, it's 90 pages of dialogue. You got to memorize, you know, but I, I feel confident I had it. And then also I hear like a lot of people that coming in and I said, the hell is it? And I looked outside and the whole place was sold out. And I said to her, I said, how, how, how many people are out there? She goes, oh, about 350. And I'm like, 350? I thought it was a class. <laughs> she said, no, no, this is like the, the West Fest. So now I got to go out there and perform this thing for 300 people, 350 people. I never did it the whole thing before. I, I just was looking at I looked at the mirror and I'm saying to myself, well, okay, I could say I'm sick and I can't do it. I'm, you know, I could say, well, oh, I just got an emergency phone call. <laughs> then I looked in the mirror and I said, just do it, bro. Just do it. Trust it and just do it. So I, I went in the sink. I left at the bathroom and I washed my, put water on my face. And I said, just do it. Just do it. So I went out there and bam, I started it. And I did it with just a chair. No props, no nothing, just a chair. And I finished, and as soon as I finished, the whole place stood up and started cheering and clapping. And I, I think before that, that was the most vulnerable I felt on stage ever. And what happened was we walked, after everybody, I was the last show. And, you know, everybody was leaving the theater and everybody's coming over to me. And, and I was outside and there was a crowd of people around me telling me, oh my God, you got to continue doing this. It's great. And, and then finally they all walked away and I was alone and everybody just kind of went off to their own cars. And there I was standing on a corner by myself and I parked my car a couple of blocks down. So I started walking towards my car. Then all of a sudden, Jay, I screamed so loud by myself walking down the street, I was like, ah, I mean, like this horrific scream and people opening windows. What the hell? You know, and I just smiled at them and I said, oh, everything's OK. I think it was just. 30 something years of frustration. And then finally, it all came out of me. And so that was a, a pivotal moment that I always think about. Wow. Another great story. Thank you for thank you for sharing that.
And right. has there been a particular director that you have loved working with more or have you loved working with all of them and just I think all of them. I learned something from every one of them. I learned so much from Robert De Niro when he directed Bronx Tale. I learned what the the idea of being collaborative is. He was so collaborative and he, and he was so, and he's the one who taught me uh, that it, it takes just as much talent to recognize a great idea as it is to come up with it yourself. Mm. So don't feel, if you don't have, if you don't come up with the idea, somebody else does, but if you recognize that, you have the same amount of talent. Mm. And uh, with Jerry Zaks, who what four Tonys on Broadway, who taught me comedy is all about timing and time. Time, take your time. Pace, pace, take your time. Uh, William Freakin, who directed The Exodus and uh, mm. French French Connection, I worked with him and wow, taught me about lenses and about and about drama. Uh, Lee Tamahora, who, who who did that movie Mohammed Falls, mm. um, and of course Woody Allen. Yeah. Who taught me a lot of who taught me a lot about comedy? What is what is thing about comedy was no pauses. Pauses <laughs> dead. No pauses. Just say the lines. No pauses. And uh I never forgot that. So I, I remember that. So I learned a lot from all of them, I think. If you could go back to your younger self and give yourself some good advice, what advice would you want to give yourself? How young am I? Do you have any? I mean, my, you say my younger self. How young would you say? Say, say you're around my age at the moment, so 24, thereabouts. Wow. At 24, my advice would be invest in the internet. No, not really. But I, <laughs> I would have said that. But I, I think I, I think I would have said, wow, that's a damn, no one ever asked me that before. Uh, I think I would have said, don't stress so much. Just, just relax. It's going to happen. Like I knew it was going to happen, but I stressed a lot. Yeah. I I think that's, that's perfect advice for a young person because the age that I am now, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of young people can relate to me that are listening to this. We kind of want things now we want good things to happen right this very second and i've i've been caught i mean i was speaking to someone yesterday about one of the biggest lessons that they've learned in their life and they've taken away so far and they've said it's just being patient it's just process and being patient you know what i I, on my podcast today i had a a wonderful guest who i've done a couple of movies with giancarlo esposito who's just who's a great actor, great actor. And we were talking and I, and I asked him, I said, what would advice would you give to young people? And he came out, he said something so brilliant. He said, do things today that you want to happen tomorrow. And, and, and I thought about that and he was so right. You know, if you want something to happen tomorrow or soon in the future, then you better do things today. Mm. Like go to school, study acting, study writing, study journalism. I always say to people, young people ask me, you know, what is the secret to success? I said, it's really simple. It's two things. If you do these two things, you cannot 
fail, impossible. And the two things are be really good at what you do and be well liked. Mm. That's it. If you're good at what you do, really good and well liked, people will find the spot for you. Mm. You'll get hired. Don't worry. They'll find you. But so many people are good at what they do, but they're not well liked. And so many people are well liked, but they're not good at what what they do. Mm. But if you could do both, mm-hmm. I say this to all your young young people out there: you cannot fail. And I talk about this on my podcast. I always tell them: you you got to do things. You got to woodshed. It's called delayed gratification. Mm. You're right. The young people today want it right now, instantly. It's not the way it is. Do it now. Work hard now, because when the chance comes, you want to be ready. Yeah. I think there's that, um, that movie, I think called the secret. It's kind of like you're sitting back waiting for the universe to just give you everything that you've ever wanted. But if you think about it, it's magically going to turn up. And I don't think that's the point really of living a good life. It's just that, that yeah. breed for me, that breeds laziness. Like my grandfather would be turning in his, in his grave. If he heard me just say, Oh, Grandy, I'm, I'm waiting for things to happen. Just magically. I'm not doing anything. No. It was all about the action, like the action. Do yes. it. Action brings a reaction. Exactly. Always. Always an action brings a reaction. And, and you, you have, look, it's about forward motion. Mm-hmm. Your decisions in life have to mean you're going forward. You know when you're making a backward decision. Mm. You're not dumb. Nobody's dumb. When they're getting in a car, when all their friends are drunk, that's a bad decision. Mm. When they're staying home and studying, when all their friends are going out, that's a good decision. If you say to yourself, every time you make a decision, is this getting me closer to my goal or farther away? Mm. And if the answer is farther away, you don't do it. Mm. You don't do it. Now, is it, it's easier said than done. Yeah. But the mind is like a muscle. And the more you you build up that muscle, the stronger you get. Mm -hmm. It's no different. The mind is a muscle just like the bicep is. Mm -hmm. And the more you say, no, I'm not going. I'm going to study. I'm going to work hard. I'm not going to take drugs. I'm not going to lose my temper the more success you'll have. Sometimes five seconds of patience Mm -hmm. could relieve hundreds of years of misery. Just be patient. You do something really stupid and you pay for it the rest of your life. I know I grew up in that neighborhood where that happened. Mm -hmm. Guys did something dumb because of respect. And a guy said something and he stabbed him and he killed him. And now he's away in jail his whole life. Just have patience. That's all he had to do. Mm. So I say that to your young people out there. It's a perfect lesson, I think. And it's one that young people need to learn more of. And you said it perfectly. It's it's easier said than done. Right. Oh, it is. I have this philosophy and this saying that my audience knows, I hope, very well. It's if you really want something, be persistent to remain consistent at the things that you do want. Because for me, 
consistency is a flow on effect of when I am persistent. So I don't give up. If I have a goal at something kind of like you with wanting to get the Bronx tail made, you didn't give up. doesn't matter if someone throws you a million dollars in your face. If you weren't going to be the starring lead, you weren't going to give up until that was going to happen. So the persistence, I feel like in just being patient, it works wonders. And I love how you said five seconds of patience, like count, count yourself down, like five, four, three, two, count yourself down. If you have before to. I said, before I do this, wait a second, mm. think it through then stop. Yeah. Stop. And, and you will save yourself a lifetime of misery, yeah. a lifetime of misery. Cause nobody, cause when you lose your temper, even when you're right, you're wrong. Mm. Nobody wants to be with somebody who loses their temper. Nobody forward motion. Just remember that every decision I make is forward motion. Mm, perfect. You mentioned that you were speaking to an amazing person on your podcast. I want to sort of uh, end the show on yeah. a good note, on a high note on your podcast. Yeah. So why did you decide firstly, I think um, people ask this question all the time. Why did you decide to start a podcast? I mean, it's a heavily saturated industry. I mean, why did you decide to start one? Okay, I, because I love helping people. I love serving human beings. For thirty years now, I, I walk around with a. Uh, what's my? I walk around with a card. I have these little cards in my wallet. The saddest thing in life is wasted talent. And for thirty years, I've been walking around with these cards, and I meet young actors, and they go, "Hey, Chaz, you know the advice you gave me, and you gave me one of those cards five years ago. Hey, I'm on a soap now. Look, I still got the card, you know. And I've been going through this for thirty years, and then I. I looked at the internet and I said, well, wait a minute. Instead of helping X amount of kids, I can help everyone if I do it, if I get a successful podcast, I can talk to them directly. You know, wait a minute, this is great. So I love doing it. I, they write in questions and I talk about their lives. I have great guests on my show. I had Billy Joel, obviously the great, I have singers, I have Sting is coming on. I have, um, oh my God, Vincent D'Onofrio, the great actor, Alan Macon, the great Broadway uh, guy, you know, Giancarlo Esposito, Forrest Whitaker. I have great actors, great directors. Um, so I have great guests, but but I love the shows that I do myself, just talking one-on-one to the audience, like you are right now. And um, uh, it just it's it's a fulfilling thing for me. I enjoy doing it. It's it's just very fulfilling. This is a question that I ask some of my podcasters, but if you were to ask a question to anyone alive or dead, who would it be? Why? And what question would you want to ask them? Oh, that's an easy one because uh, me and my friends used to talk about that. Uh, The person obviously would be Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I would want to talk to Jesus and I would want to just ask him about this whole thing mm. and say, come on, is this legit? Or, is this legit or what? You know what I'm saying? Are you the son of God? Come on, level with me now. So <laughs> I would, I would really look, I believe in spirits. I believe in God. There was a man named Jesus Christ. He did walk this earth and think about this. Here's a man died at 33 years old. Uh, Really, there was no internet then. He never left 
more than 30 miles from the place he was born, if I'm not mistaken. And now he's the most famous and he's the centipede of more religions than anyone in the whole world. He had to do something. He had to be like one hell of a person. So whatever, I would like to speak to him. That's who I would like to talk to. To say, hey, what's the secret? You didn't have any internet. How did you become so famous? How did you become so famous? How did this happen? <laughs> yeah. you, know, you didn't travel. You didn't travel more than 30 miles away. You hung out with the same 12 guys. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, your mother thought you were God. You must have been Italian. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, it's like, I, I would have to ask them these questions. Really? I really would. How? How did this happen? Yeah. And any let's even if he was just the greatest philosopher, mm. which I but I do believe he was God, the Son of God, because I'm a Catholic. Mm. I'm not a born again Christian at all, but I am a Catholic. Uh, I, I would like to speak to him if anyone. He, he's by far and away he'd be the first. Mm. I, I'm a Christian as well. I'm, I'm right. I believe in God, whole thing. So I think you're. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I think everyone wants to know that as well. Yeah. Like, hey, what's what is all this? You know, and I think this side of eternity we won't know, but I think it's exciting. The moment we get to heaven one day, yeah. then I think a lot of questions that I already have will be answered in that very moment. But I'll have a ton more <laughs> to ask. Which, yeah, 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 no, I believe. I don't believe this is the end. People. <laughs> Uh, agnostic people believe that, and that's fine. Mm. Uh, I believe that the will and the spirit live on somehow. Uh, yeah. That's just my belief, you know. Yeah, so same, you know, same here. So I, I appreciate yeah. you sharing that, Jazz. This is my final question. It's my all-time favorite question I ask everyone at the end. It's yeah. a hypothetical one. Now, you've listened to my show before, so maybe you've heard me ask this question. You yeah, know. before you do that, I want to remind people, uh, again, if they want to go to my podcast, it's on YouTube, Chaz Palmetary Show. But also, uh, if they want to really know a lot about me, they can go to chazpalmetary.net. Yep. That is my web. That is my site. Uh, that's where all my one-man shows are appearing in all over America if they want to come and see it. And, um, yeah, it's just good that I, I wanted to get that out there. Of course, of course. I was going to, like, anyway, yeah. it was all good. I appreciate you you sharing that so people can go and find you. You're, you're not hard to find at all. <laughs> just yeah. type in your name. I'll link everything in the yeah. show notes below. Promote okay. it like a, a crazy. Love I your show that. as well. It's a great show. Yeah. You, you ask some good questions. You have some good conversations. And I love the one, just you, answering questions as well. So people, people can go and get it wherever podcasts are. Yes. Jazz, my final question, hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done is different than a Bronx tale, but they've been able, don't ask me how they got all the stuff. They've just been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday what do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Well, uh, I, I want that film to say, you know, it, it's that, that I was, a, 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 I was prolific. I did a lot of movies and I was a really good actor and a really good artist. And 
but more important to me that I, I want to, I, I want to be known as a good man. Mm. I want to be known as a gentle, good man that my father was. My father was not famous, but he was more of a man than, I don't know. I don't think that I'll ever be, I think, you know, he was just such a man. Um, and my mom and my mom, both of them li lived to see all my success. My mother died when she was 97. Uh, my mother died when she was 97. And my father, <clears throat> uh, my father passed away at 90. <clears throat> and so they saw all my success. I just want to be known as a good person. That's all. I feel like that is a perfect send off message. Jazz, thank yeah. you so much for your story. The life that you are, the good person that you are, for believing in me enough to come on my show today. Thank you so much for everything that you do and for coming on the Storybox podcast today. God bless. Take care. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.